Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Bulls fans, and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We're back again for another episode of Bulls HQ this week, and it's my great pleasure to welcome back arguably the most intellectual Bulls fan among us all. At least that's what he told me to say. So let's bring him in. He's the, the host of the Chicago Bulls Eye podcast and Chicago's most famed D level celebrity. It's Mr. Fred Pfeiffer. Fred, how are you, sir? <laughs> Mark, my friend. It's always good to talk to you, brother. Thanks for that stellar intro. You're sounding a bit uh, raspy there, mate. Yeah, I, well, the la- I probably had about four hours of sleep the last two days. My daughter graduated from eighth grade oh, yesterday. We had a dinner on Thursday night at the school, and dealing with that emotional trauma is, is very difficult. As you <laughs> say, uh, your el- your old- eldest daughter grow older and enter high school. It's very... Uh, you know, very trying times. I mean, of course, you're happy she got through it, but trying to uh, deal with the emotions that are around that. Uh, but, you know, I- I'm getting through it. And part part of what helps me is the diversion of the beloved bull. And brighter skies are ahead there. And I cannot wait to get into this. And as I try to bring you back to the light side, I've, I've noticed listening to you lately, I think you're really far- starting to go down towards the dark side again. It's very disturbing. Well, look, I, I disagree. I think I'm perfectly level, level-headed and even killed and know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be disagreeing with that. But uh, give yeah. me an example. Where have I gone dark? Well, I don't know. I just listen. To, I just don't feel you. At one point, I think you really believed that this team had championship uh, potential. Yeah. And so, I think you've kind of yeah, waited on that. Well, ever since ever since they got the seventh pick overall, there's just been a palpable downcast, uh, a palpable anger across the fan base, just a disappointment. I understand missing out on the great Zion, but I wanted to point something out. I brought this up with Sylvie yesterday. Mm-hmm. Go the for it. There is a common denominator uh, watching the game one of the finals, which was fantastic. The seven best players on that court were Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Kawhi Leonard, Marcus Gasol, Lowry, and Siakam. What do they all have in common? I'm sure this is the part where you tell me they were drafted after number seven. Is, 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 that, That's is correct. that right? Oh, the highest player picked was at number seven, Steph Curry. You yeah. know, Tom 
Jackson, I think, was 11. Green at second round. Kawhi, 15. Gasol, second round. Lowry in the 20s somewhere. And Siakam, 27. So why are we going to continue to to live in this despair and, and wallow in, in just anger when I firmly believe if you look at almost every draft, there are superstars that fall to seven. And I've identified two for this draft. Who are they? I think Garland. DeAndre Hunter. Let me guess. That's yeah, well, yeah, everybody knows my love for Hunter. And, <laughs> and I'll continue to get, I, you know, it's so funny. Like I was talking, uh, I was talking to Mark Shinovsky after that, that draft lottery when everyone was, was bummed out and he walks by our table and then we got into this conversation about 20 minutes where I was just trying to get his reasoning on why he didn't like Hunter. So Hunter's got like a seven, two wingspan, six, seven, 225 pounds. He's 30 pounds heavier than, than Culver. He thoroughly dominated Culver in, in the NCAA final shot 52% from the field, 43% from three stellar shooting statistics. He's the exactly what the modern NBA needs. A guy who can guard four positions, one through the four. There's like no faults in his game. I watch, I watch I've been watching a ton of tape on him and I have the same feeling with him that I had with Wendell Carter Jr. Like, what am I missing? And basically, the only answers I've got, and what Mark said were, you know, he's just a better version of Chandler or Hutchinson. And I, I just think there's like, there's like, how do you know? Like, what's the delta? No one knows where these guys are going to finish up. Everyone's like, he's got a, he's got a low, he's he's got a what's the high floor but he's got a low ceiling. And, and, and I would counter, you don't know how good this guy is going to be. If you look at his development from year one, year two was substantial. Did anyone think Jimmy Butler was going to be as good as he was after watching him in his first year as a 20, well, 21, 22 year old. It's amazing how well some players can develop and how some can't look at the development Siakam had in his third year. In fact, Draymond Green after game one, it basically suggests I can't believe that's the same player, you know? So how do you know? What what am I missing on DeAndre Hunter so far that you've watched that makes you say this guy doesn't have a ceiling uh, of a Kawhi Leonard? Because if you look at his physically, he's almost exactly the same as Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, but it's just a game of probabilities, I guess. So to your point, there's always players taken you know, deeper in the draft that randomly come on and become great players. You mentioned Jimmy Butler. Obviously, we know that pretty well, what he did from pick number 30 to become what he has been. Pascal Siakam, after game one here, has just done some pretty insane things too. So there's always going to be players that pop up randomly from, you know, outside the lottery and become great players. But if we're just talking about probabilities, it's not likely, I guess. So the guys at the top of the draft are more likely to be the the star player this team needs. And I guess when we're talking expectations, it's 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 more so fans were well hoping for a top pick in this draft more so than landing at number seven. So I, I'm sure if DeAndre Hunter was to walk through the Bulls' doors, uh, you know, at number seven, and, and he's wearing a Bulls jersey in October, the 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 the, uh, the tone will change at that point, but we're still sort of reeling from the draft. And I know that when it was announced that the Bulls fell from number to number four to number seven, that you yourself were disappointed. So you have <laughs> no. to understand why people were disappointed. Surely we've got video was, evidence of you being. There is, there is video evidence of that, but I swear <laughs> to goodness, I was thinking in my head, I was really upset about the thought of the Lakers jumping up. I don't yeah, think they yeah, should yeah, be rewarded for anything. I think they've been the most incompetent franchise in the last 10 years. I think uh, uh, if you look, well, not 10 years, eight years, if you look at that 
did you see the ESPN article? Did you read yeah, that? Yeah, that was shocking. I mean, there's nothing more incompetent than that. The Bulls aren't yeah. even in the stratosphere. No. Yeah, no. The Lakers so, have the Lakers have surpassed pretty much everyone, even the Knicks at this point. There you go. There you go. So I the Knicks, I we're still up. It's just I was that was where I was more disappointed because I had that in my head about God, if the Lakers somehow end up with the top pick, and I knew they had jumped up at that point. I was really distraught over that. I still believe Garland or Hunter, those two players specifically, if one of those two players falls to us at seven, I think one of those two players are going to be a, a just absolutely phenomenal basketball player, and I'd be happy with either one. I think if, if the Bull draft Hunter, I think the fan base will be just distraught and upset overall. I think most people will be disappointed. I know even, you know, I have really good, good close friends that don't want them, but I, I I just don't think I I don't think you can have enough of those guys. I think that's where the NBA is trending. If you have if you can have a lineup of Otto Porter Jr., Chandler Hutchinson, and Hunter on the court at the same time, and that will be defensively phenomenal. Where you can switch on every pick and roll, uh, all three of those guys can. Well, hopefully Hutchinson will avail, eventually be able to develop a three point shot. You'll have three guys who can hit the three, create lanes. I think you know I think it would be a phenomenal move for them to draft him, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, I don't think I don't think the disappointment's purely based on DeAndre Hunter himself. I think if if Hunter was to be taken at number seven, and you compare him, you know, who knows what he will be? But in my head, he's he's going to be some sort of version of of Lowell Dean in the sense of a, a new school version of Lowell Dean. And obviously, there's differences between the two, so it's not a direct comparison. But I think he can end up being that third or fourth option, high defensive player high fundamental player, guy that you need around, a good culture setter. Every winning team would want that sort of player. So I think that's probably the most probable case for someone like Hunter. And assuming that were to be the case, you know, you've got a player that can average 15, 16 points a game, seven, eight rebounds, something of that nature, spread the four plays defense. I think if you could get that type of player at seven, then everyone would take that because that's that's actually a pretty damn good scenario. A, you know, a pretty damn good scenario for pick number seven, traditionally based on, on what sort of play you get at pick seven. But going back to what I said a bit earlier, after what we had to endure all this season where the Bulls only won 22 games, and obviously there was a lot of factors as to why that was, but to go through a season where the team only won 22 games and then to only be rewarded DeAndre Hunter, I think that's where the disappointment lies more so than Hunter himself. Yeah, again, I would counter the reason they won 22 games is because catastrophic they had the second most injuries in the east the only other team with more injuries was cleveland look how they yeah, yeah, of course you know well, we I mean, everyone gets that but like i mean for if any well in, in most other seasons you win 22 games you're typically getting a top three or four pick but unfortunately the bulls they they slid from four to seven so that's where the disappointment lies i guess it's more so yeah. what happened in the draft lottery than DeAndre Hunter not being the star player that people hope he can be because pretty much no one's necessarily expecting that. I, I had this conversation with Sean Hyken earlier this week, and I was like, what did you expect? Like, the Bulls are the most unlucky team I've ever seen in the last 10 years. They've had two first-team All-NBA players that devolved into players that got minimum contracts, basically. Um, you know, Derek Rose, before when he signed his five-year deal, he basically missed the first two entire years of that contract being injured we, we last year we had we should have been ahead of the kings instead the kings jumped up to two and we you know we fell to seven there hasn't been a lot of luck since we won derrick rose in the, in the lottery and that win you know gr- as great as it was it was still kind of a 
disappointment overall in retrospect and that it, it just broke our hearts that we had such a great player who whose career was basically cut short due to injury. There's been no luck for this franchise. So I wasn't expecting to get Zion. I, that's what I kept on saying. And I p- think people took it wrong. I know Sylvie keeps on playing that clip of me saying, we don't need Zion. I just viewed it as there's a, you know, 88.5% chance we're not getting him. So I'm not expecting to get him. Do you believe the Bulls can win a title with Laurie, Wendell Carter Jr. and Levine? I do. I do. I think those three players can develop into something special. And I know I'm alone on an island there. I don't think you're alone on an island. I think there's a lot of Bulls optimists out there that would probably heard that and would agree with you. Uh, um, there'll be a lot that call me a pessimist because I don't necessarily agree with that. That's not to say I don't think this core of players can be good, but I don't think it's championship level good. But uh, I mean, I wasn't expecting Zion, but at the same time, I was still hoping for Zion. So when we fell from four to seven, that's that's the disappointment. And I think every, every Bulls fan out there wanted to jump up from four to one to grab Zion. So anyone saying otherwise is probably lying. So it just depends on each person as to how how willing they're uh, prepared to move on with it, I guess. And slowly, slowly, I guess I'm moving on. But, you know, it, it still hurts. But I would count it before when you were saying before that the Bulls haven't necessarily had much luck over the years. And whilst uh, the Derrick Rose injury and to a lesser extent the Joakim Noah injury as well certainly crippled the organization. I think what Jimmy Butler developed into from the 30th pick was pretty damn pretty damn important and pretty damn lucky in a sense because that doesn't typically happen. That's a complete outlier. And sometimes I sit back here and I wonder where this organization would be or where we would have, where we would have been over the last sort of five to six years if had Butler not become the player he was, was from number 30. So I think whilst it doesn't counterbalance everything, but it, it was pretty damn lucky too. You could make that exact same argument about Draymond Green. In fact, it's Definitely. even more lucky that a player in the second round develops into that, you know, so I mean, yeah, for sure. yeah, you're right, you know, but they still picked him at 30 and he ended up being yeah, a great definitely. player and he developed well. And um, I did want to get your opinion on Co- on Kobe white. Cause here's a kid at seven that everybody is, you know, seems now people are falling in love with this guy. And I've, I've really watched, started to watch a lot of tape and I, I'm just bewildered as to why people think this guy's going to be a difference maker at the point guard position. I think you're in, a massive amount of danger. And I look at Bulls history, 1995, the Bulls had the the um, 20th pick in the draft. I was sitting in my dorm at the University of Illinois with a couple of buddies. And as a Big Ten fan, we we all knew how good Michael Finley was. People knew I loved the guy. I wanted the Bulls get him. And lo and behold, the Bulls come up and take Jason Caffey, a, a long line of horrible, after Dickie Simpkins, long line of horrible Jerry Krause power forward picks. Why? Because at that time, we didn't have Dennis Rodman, who was later acquired in October. We needed a power forward, so they wasted the pick on Jason Caffey. And the very next pick, of course, Michael Finley gets picked up, and the rest is history. I I think there's a lot of, we need a point guard. Kobe White's probably the best next best one who will be available if Garland's off the, and Ja obviously will be gone. So let's get him. This guy is not that good. I I. The two things he does well is he pushes the ball well, extremely quick. I see that. But, you know, I think this team, is it's imperative from the point guard position, you get some type of shooting. He shot worse from the three-point line last year in college than Dunn did at the pro line. So I don't understand. I don't think he's a difference maker defensively. He's 178 pounds. I don't think he's strong enough. I don't understand. I, I, am I missing something? What am I missing on Kobe White? 
No, it's, uh, look, I was going to bring up Kobe White because I wanted to have a larger discussion about the point guard position, not only in the draft, but free agency trade, etc. But I was going to bring up Kobe White a little later on, but let's, let's hit on him now. And I, I kind of agree with you. I'm not necessarily super high on the guy. And it's not necessarily because of what White is or what he isn't, but I just kind of question his fit on this specific roster. I, look, I don't have the problems with him that you have as a shooter. I think he was a 19-year-old this season. As a catch-and-shoot shooter, he was one of the best in college in, in terms of percentile. He, he he definitely came on towards the end of his season. So I don't have any concerns about his shooting ability. I have concerns about him being a point guard, which is what I... I, I don't really want to be uh, pairing Zach Levine and a, a point guard in the backcourt who's learning how to be a point guard, who's not necessarily going to end up being a point guard. I think that's kind of problematic when you've already commenced the rebuild and you're rebuilding around two young big men who need who need their guards and their forwards to basically help them get their scores. I mean, they, they typically operate on spaces of the floor where being a forward and a center, you're usually getting you know most of your points assisted on. Uh, I don't think we're at the point at this, at least at right now, where you can just dump the ball to Larry Markin and have him create his own score consistently. So they do need some help from their guards, getting them easy scores. And I just think of backcourt of, of Zach Levine and Kobe White. I think their score first mentality would be kind of problematic, given that the Bulls have sort of elected to rebuild around two bigs. So I don't love, I don't love, I love, love Kobe White for that reason alone. And to your point, I think he operates best in transition. I, I think he can fit and, and can work on certain teams. I don't know if it's necessarily with the Bulls, but yeah, I'm a bit iffy with Kobe White. Yeah, I think it's a push for need. I don't think he'd be the yeah. – if, if it's Hunter there and White and the Bulls take White, I have no doubt that reason is because they feel like they need to get a point guard in instead of the best player available, and I always think that's problematic. I also like – out of all the potential point guards available in the draft – uh, free agency, like there's two guys to me that stick out and it has to do with Levine being a little bit more ball dominant and not like a traditional he's to me, Levine can easily function as a point guard. He essentially does. He's so ball dominant. I think at that point guard position, you need to have a shooter and like out of all the free agents, I would say there, that's the problem with the current crop of free agents. There's not one guy that checks all the boxes, right? You'd like a defense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Next to Levine, you need a defensive guy. So you know you got to you got to have a guy who's able to hit the three. But a lot of those guys aren't really great defensively. To me, Pat Beverly checks the most boxes. He's he's an underrated shooter. He shot thirty nine percent year from last year from three. He's he's fantastic defensively, but he's not as great of a facilitator. But to me, that's not as big of an issue because it's going to be much more ball dominant with Levine. I think Levine developed as a facilitator last year. I went back, watched a lot of tape in February. I know people will laugh because that was the only time the Bulls played well. But he was really, I thought at that point, he was averaging about seven assists. I really thought when he makes an effort to facilitate, he's a lot better. And I agree with you too. Like, you know, they, they need another playmaker. Where So like a Garland or, or, or a Beverly, those two guys can shoot. The problem with Garland is he can't play D. You know, there's so many... I, out of all the guys available, to me, Beverly checks the most boxes. He's not a traditional point guard. I don't think you need one next to next to Levine. What do you think about that? Well, I want to talk more about the point guard situation, particularly in free agency. But before I do that, I want to tell the listeners about this week's sponsors. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. 
No matter what you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. ShipStation helps you get your orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. And right now, Blue Wire listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation works with all your major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, then promo code BLUE. ShipStation.com, make ship happen. The next read here is from Harry's and we've got an announcement to make. Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com forward slash blue wire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich leathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. You get all that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com forward slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure to go to harrys.com forward slash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3. All right, back to the show. So Fred, we're talking about point guard options, specifically potential point guard options in free agency. And I'm a little concerned, and, and the reason I'm concerned is, you, and you sort of touched on it before, that we're sort of dealing with a lot of imperfect situations here for the Bulls at their point guard position where you can bring in someone like Patrick Beverly. He's a bit older, so he doesn't necessarily fit the age of the core. He doesn't necessarily play make like you typically would expect a point, uh, point guard to do, but he obviously brings other benefits where... I don't know, there's there's other point guards out there who, like Darren Collison, for example, not necessarily the best defender, is a decent shooter, can't necessarily play, make, or score that well. So there's there's a host of options. I mean, Ricky Rubio for another one, he, he can really play, make. So if you he, he checks that box, but he, you can't necessarily expect him to go out there and make a, a lot of buckets for himself, particularly from deep. So we're dealing yeah. with a lot of imperfect situ- uh, solutions here to this point guard situation. So... I don't know what the right answer is specifically as to which player we need to bring in, but the more I think about it, the more I think there needs to be a, void, a veteran point guard in in Chicago next season, irrespective of what they do in the draft, whether they sign a uh, draft a point guard or whether they draft a wing or a big, whatever they do in the draft. I think it's imperative that they bring in a veteran point guard, whether it's Patrick Bell, uh, Beverly, whether it's Corey Joseph, whether, whether it's someone else. I just don't want to see this young Bulls team go through another season where they don't necessarily have that coach on the floor, that veteran on the floor, that extension of the coach on the floor. I think that would be problematic. And I think one of the biggest sins over the last two years is sort of having a situation where Chris Dunn, who as a player, from, in my opinion, regressed last season. I, I Look, Dunn mm. obviously needs to take a lot of that blame himself. But at the same time, who, who out there 
has sort of been helping him develop as a point guard. There's no one else on this roster that's been pushing him. No one else on this roster that's sort of been nurturing him from a veteran point of view. I just don't want to see that happen again, whether it's Chris Dunn, whether it's another point guard they take, whether it's Kobe White or Darius Garland. I think they need to bring in a veteran point guard. One, so he can mentor some of the younger point guards on this squad. But two, in the event that one of these rookie point guards or one of these younger point guards that are on the squad aren't necessarily performing, you can insert that veteran and the other guys around them aren't necessarily suffering. So I don't know who the best option is at this point. I'll be going back and forward for the next month or two. But the more I think about it, the more I think they need a veteran on this squad and they need it quickly. Yeah, to me, like Dunn, there's so many things that do fit with Dunn. He's fantastic defensively. He can cover Levine and guard twos in the in the more difficult matchups because Levine is is not you know obviously an alpha defender. The problem with Dunn is you know, it really hit me recently when I reread. I think that I think the article was with Darnell Mabry, and he just had an excuse for yeah. everything. Mm, yeah, that was, I, that was really turned it. Re- Really turned me off. I never, I kind of like, kind of just read through it briefly the first time. But after reading it again, like just the idea that I didn't work on my three point shot because that's not what I was asked to do with Fred is kind of like, there's no, there's no world now in the NBA where you shouldn't be working on your three point shot. That's yeah, the number one exactly. thing you should be doing. Yeah, yeah. It opens up everything else. Like, so I don't understand that excuse. And, you know, like if he, if he just shot like 38% from three, he'd be such a better fit. But at 35, that's not great. He's not a good enough shooter to draw attention. So, uh, you know, and, and I, I know Pax is really, uh, just by reading through the lines here, Pax had a couple statements, which I do agree with, where you need to get some easy baskets for guys from your point guard. And that's one thing I do like about Chris Paul. There's, you know, that's what he does well is he'll facilitate easy baskets for bigs, you know, a lot of dunk. That's one thing Wade did well for Felicio. You know, when was the last time you saw anybody do that from the point guard position? You know, nice drive, drawing attention, and doing an alley oop. I can't even remember. It's been years since Wade, basically in 2017. Yeah, that yeah. Kind of stuff has to happen a lot more. And, yeah, I mean, um, the, the Bulls just don't play above the rim, really. I mean, outside of Felicio no. and before him, Taj Gibson, they, they haven't necessarily. Or they, maybe they have had the bigs that could play above the rim, but they haven't necessarily had the facilita- facilitators to. I guess, necessitate that style of play. You don't see the ball sort of running pick and roll and having that roll man sort of catching a lob and slamming it down. It's just not a play that's ever really been in this, this team's arsenal for the last five to six years. It's It's been there occasionally, but it's never been a staple. I think they've had the big man personnel too. It's just they, they haven't had the point guard who can facilitate or do it. And, you know, Dunn just hasn't been consistent enough. I still believe him as a backup. I do not believe you should trade someone at, at their all-time low on the trade value. And I think he'd be a good backup. And I do, especially watching the playoffs, I see a world where he's absolutely a guy you need to have on a team, just a lockdown perimeter defender. Look at the difference, you know, that like Kawhi, obviously he's not in that league, but look at the difference that a player like Kawhi makes on the defensive end. And you're able sometimes to at least go one-on-one against some of the best players. It's so imperative to have a great perimeter defender. And he, I really do believe in him. I know you don't. And there's a lot of people well, you think he's good, not great. I, I really think he has elite potential on that end. And uh, so that's why I don't want him off the team because I think he can be productive as a backup. And hopefully if he makes strides, maybe some somewhere down the line, he can be a serviceable starter at the point guard position. But I do agree um, we got we to gotta find some better options, no doubt about it, and I, I'm, I'm on board with you. What do you think of Bev, though? You ha- I haven't really heard 
your take on whether or not you think that'd be a good acquisition. Yeah, well, look, uh, on last week's show when I was just sort of rambling to myself, I think I think the best situation here for the Bulls is that they don't go a little bit stupid here in, in free agency and they don't sort of hand out a big four-year deal to a, refric- a restricted free agent. I, th- I think that would actually be kind of a big mistake based on where this team is at, how their sort of cap is sort of positioning itself just naturally. I think that would be a mistake. So I, I kind of want them to stay away from some of the bigger name restricted free agents. And I, I'm totally into the idea of Patrick Beverly because he does, like we mentioned before, there's a lot of imperfect solutions, but I think in a lot of ways, he's exactly what this team needs from just a, a defensive standpoint. I think if this team has any chance of getting towards the playoffs next season, they really need to improve on defense more so than offense. But I don't know if that's going to happen if you sort of bring in just an offensive-minded point guard who doesn't necessarily play both ends of the floor. So I love the idea of Patrick Beverly, and I love him even more if it's a two-year deal where you can sort of preserve your cap space for 2021. I think that's the that's the plan that I would sort of hope the Bulls are leaning to towards getting in Patrick Beverly for a couple of years, maybe a two-year, $20 million deal, something like that, get him in, have him sort of start at point guard, whether he defends point guards. We, we've seen him to, uh, defend Kevin Durant in the playoffs, so we know he can do a lot of varying things, but I think he would be super ideal. If it's not Patrick Beverly, then Corey Joseph, just get in a player who can be a stopgap solution for two years. And I guess, like I mentioned before, sort of be that, stopgap solution for as from a veteran perspective while sort of nurturing along some younger point guard prospects but at the same time not necessarily killing your caps so i hate the idea of signing like terry rosier or malcolm mm. brogdon to to contracts that just aren't worth it for like they're good players they're okay players but they're not going to be worth the money that you're going to need to sign them on to get them out of their current teams yeah brogdon seems to be very popular now among bulls twitter my issue, yeah. I, I love everything. I, I like a lot of what he brings. Excellent shooter, fantastic, you know, pretty good defensively. He, he crosses a lot of boxes. My issue with Brogdon is that sometime we're going to have to factor in durability. I mean, especially the Chicago Bulls. Is that ever going to be a, 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 a part of a facet of our decision-making? Because he's not a durable player. He's got a lot of injury questions. That's why he fell this second round. I just see that turning into a nightmare if they pay him $20 million a year and he ends up playing half the season. So um, I did want to throw one name at you because our mutual friend, good friend, Kevin Anderson, I, I, I went to him about, yeah, I don't think a lot of people are talking. The Bulls could stretch Felicio. There's a, there's an, if they get an exemption, uh, exemption on Asik, on they can get $27 million in cap space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's enough to max out a zero to six year free agent. A lot of yeah. rumors about Irving going to the Brooklyn Nets. And if he <laughs> does, they'll join him. The- I what know about Angelo Russell? Oh no, no, definitely not. Yeah. I, I could, I could not handle a Russell on Levine backcourt. <laughs> I, oh, okay. I couldn't. Defensively, it would be an absolute train wreck, and I was sort of fear for Larry Mark and Wendell Carter Jr. Would they ever even touch the ball? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, personally, I wouldn't do it. No way. You're not a fan, then. Oh, no way. Would you max out D'Angelo Russell? I wouldn't max him out. I, I would say I, I'm really curious to see what he's going to get. Like I do like him though. I do. I, I would pay 20 to 22 million for him. If we can get 27 million in space, I think all this team really needs. I, I don't understand everybody saying, wow, we got to get a bunch sign a bunch of free agents. I don't believe that. I think all we need is a point guard and we need a backup four or five. And then if you look though, every other position, 
it, it is, we're going to be fine. We got Hutchinson, we got Valentine. And a lot of people are rolling their eyes, but Valentine, I do believe, is a good backup. Dunn, <laughs> there you go. Dunn, the backup point guard. It, it, how, how many? What, what else do we need? We were already set at, uh, you know, with Levine, Porter at the three, Laurie, Wendell Carter Jr. We need to get a point guard. And then Dunn is the backup point guard. You got Hutchinson, you got Valentine, um, and then whatever that draft pick is. And then you sign another backup four or five, which is either out of these three, I'd like to get your opinion, Taj Gibson, Ed Davis, or uh, just resign Rolo. Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote about Taj Gibson bringing him back. I think that makes complete sense. Um, similar, similar logic to, to Pat Beverly, where you bring him in for two years. I mean, who better to, to teach these young sort of bigs, Larry Markton and Wendell Carter, who better to learn from than, than Taj Gibson? A former ball, a ball who's played both power forward and center position. He's probably one of the better big men defenders the league has sort of had over the last sort of five to 10 years, you know, guarding in space in particular. So I, I love Taj. I mean, I'm, I'm super biased. So a lot of it is born out of that, but I think it sort of does make a lot of sense on the floor as well. So my plan this off season, exactly that bringing in Taj Gibson and Patrick Beverly, because they're the veteran stop gaps that you need to, to help this team sort of, uh, to hum along and to get a little bit more experience they're the perfect guys you want teaching this squad as they sort of mature into their prime and I'm totally about that that idea because not only does it help from that standpoint but I'll, the more I think about it Fred I think it more it makes sense to sort of conserve cap space for t- 2021 and um, I, look it's it's kind of ridiculous to be thinking that far ahead but I think it would be a, a a giant mistake to go out there and sort of sign one of these free agents now to a, a near max or a max deal just because you've got the money to do it. I think that would be problematic. I don't think this team is at the right time on its development curve to go out there and give a free agent $27 million like like we sort of mentioned there before with D'Angelo Russell. I think that would be a complete mistake. I think that would be a waste of cap space and I just don't think the teams are ready for that. So I'm about the idea of bringing in veterans and sort of helping this team learn to win that way. I think that makes complete sense. And then in 2021, when Larry Markman is 24, Zach Levine's 26, Wendell Carter's 22, and maybe who knows how old this, this draft pick will be, but let's assume they're 21, 22, and who knows what the rest of the roster looks at that point. But when those players are sort of maturing and are becoming of age when they're just on the cusp of entering their prime, I think that's when it makes sense when you make a free agency splash rather than going for it now and, you know, signing Malcolm Brogdon to a four-year, $90 million deal. I think that would be a complete mistake. Man, it's amazing that you and I are simpatico on this because that's exactly what I've written down. <laughs> I, was, I, didn't, I didn't even catch your article. I, I missed that. But I actually was working on one too where I was writing, you sign, I think Beverly would be signed for two years between 12 and $15 million per year. And I think you're big, you can get at less money, somewhere between yeah. five and eight two years you either get Taj so Ed Davis is a name I've loved for a long time and I threw it out the yeah show. he's good I mean if I wasn't being biased and, and and Taj wasn't my boy then I, w- I would definitely be saying Ed Davis but um because this is a Chicago Bulls podcast and I'm a Taj, <laughs> a Taj Gibson stan I'll, I'll say I'll pencil in Taj but Ed Davis is a pretty damn good name to think about too yeah, and actually Sean seconded that, which I was very pleased to hear. He said Dame uh, Lillard loved Ed Davis. He was very upset when he left for the Nets last year. He only signed for $4 million. To me, that was like one of the best contracts in the entire league. Guy's a rebounding machine. And I, from what he said, he's fantastic in the locker room. So that's exactly what you need. I know a lot of people will be down on him because he can't hit the three. Either will Taj. You don't need a guy hitting the three as a backup four or five. You just need a guy to rebound. 
come in and play defense and rebound. That's what you need. And uh, you, yeah. you, Taj or him are perfect answers. So those options are there. Just bring in those two. That's all you need. And I'm, I agree with you completely. And then you look at Giannis is going to be a free agent in 2021. I know a lot of people are laughing again. Milwaukee has was one of five teams to only pay the tax one time. I think there's five teams. The other teams are uh, the the Hornets have never paid the tax, believe it or not. Um, gosh, I had that list and I wish I would have brought it with me. There's a Washington's only paid it once. Milwaukee's only paid it once. These are five of the cheap, cheapest teams in the league. The Bulls paid it twice. But uh, but Milwaukee is not a team that's going to spend a lot of money. That's where people are wrong, and they have the impression that they're going to go into the cap. They're not. They're going to lose a lot of these free agents. They may go into pay the luxury tax this year because they're, they're going to be forced in that situation. But I feel like I don't think it's going to end well if you're signing Middleton to a max deal and Brogdon to a massive contract. You've already made the mistake, you know, four years Gosh, who else? Who else do they have on their roster that are going to be bad deals potentially? Bledsoe. Uh, oh, He's assuming yeah. he plays the way he did in the playoffs. <laughs> exactly. That's a disaster for you. Although he had a very good regular season, played great defense. Yeah. I think we've yeah. seen this movie before. So you got Bledsoe for your seventy million. Those contracts are not going to look good. We'll see where they're at in twenty twenty one, but I don't expect that to end well. Well, I mean, who knows? Who knows? It, it could end very well for them, but you have to sort of set up. I would be setting up my cap position to the just in case it doesn't end up well. I think the Mavericks just quietly are going to be doing the exact same thing. They're going to keep their space open for 2021, where the, you know they've got Luka Doncic. They'll, we'll see what they do with Kristaps Porzingis, but don't be surprised if they sort of uh, setting up their cap position in 2021 to make a run at Giannis, assuming things don't necessarily go well in Milwaukee. But who knows? Maybe he qualifies for the supermax and he sort of signs it, and that plan goes to hell. But I think sitting here right now, you at least have to sort of be positioning yourself, and just in, just in case it happens, because who knows? I mean. Do we really want to go out and blow our load on Malcolm Brogdon and maybe potentially forego that chance of bringing in someone like Giannis through free agency? Or do we just want to keep it open just for now, just in the rare chance that, that you can do something in free agency? I know a lot of people will be scoffing at that this idea because the Bulls have never necessarily landed that tier one type player through free agency. But if the Bulls act like a big market team, because they are a big big market team, then maybe one day they'll be able to get one of these sort of free agents through the door, assuming they act like a big market team, which will part of that will be playing the tax more than twice throughout their tenure. But I, I think that should be the play here. But um, I'm kind of concerned because I listened to your podcast with uh, with the Catman the other week, and he was pretty categorical, categoric rather, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure when I was listening to uh, to that podcast, he was pretty pretty adamant in saying that the Bulls weren't interested in veterans like Patrick Beverly. And um, I've read uh, read articles from Darnell Mabry suggesting that the Bulls are going to sort of inquire about these restricted free agents, particularly Terry Rozier. They, they're pretty high on him. So I don't like the sound of where this is going. It sounds like they're necessarily going to bypass someone like Patrick Beverly, which sounds like a mistake to me. Uh, it probably sounds like a mistake to you based on what you've said to go for some of these younger restricted free agents like Terry Rozier. And I think that's completely insane. Yeah. I, I think, well, first of all, thanks for referring to that Catman interview. That was one of my favorites that I've ever done. And I, and I do know the exact moment you're talking about when he basically threw out the Beverly and cap is so well connected with the bulls. that I got a little nauseous 
Because yeah, me too. I heard, I, heard well, yeah. same, I heard the same thing. Like I'm like, oh my god, are they really thinking after of going after Rozier? I liked Rozier two years ago. I didn't like him last year, and I think he thinks he's a lot better than he actually is. Yeah, and I don't think he'd fit well with Levine. So no. I think I agree 100 percent with what you're saying, which has really got me worried because I, we're pretty much some mm. people on a lot of these ideas. Um, and Cap, <laughs> yeah, Cap really that whole after, afterwards, I kind of pushed him on it off the air. Um, yeah. And asked him, do you have any, you know, like, <clears throat> have you spoken with the organ? And, and it was clear to me that this was just his opinion. And I don't think Cab understood, you know, Cab's had his whole theory. I don't know if you heard it about what the Bulls should do. He wants to bring in J.J. Reddick, which I disagree complete, completely with. He's 30. Yeah. He's, uh, he's going to be 34, 35. I mean, he's done. You know, I don't want to bring in J.J. Reddick. Um, yeah, I would have liked it eight years ago, but. He's just not the, yeah, I mean, he the answer. He plays the same position as Zach Levine. Why, why would you bother? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Cap is – I love Cap, but I think he's – he just – I don't think he was aware of how good of a shooter Beverly is, which not his fault. Most of the NBA is, and he shot 39% last year from three. So I think he's a lot better fit than he gives him credit for. Um, I did want to throw one thing out there since you referred to it. You listened to that whole interview. Just as an aside, let's go on a really quick tangent here because I'd love to get your opinion on this. And that story is not is not one of the most amazing stories of all time about how Bulls history could have been altered with that trade of Kemp and um, for Kemp and Pippen. Scotty, yeah, yeah. I mean that that was insane. I look previously, I hadn't heard that story before. Maybe a lot of people listening to this had had heard it, but for me at least, I maybe I had heard it, but I, I sort of had forgotten about it. But listening to it back, I, I was like, this seems like new information to me, but. Generally, I queue up your podcast on the train ride home from work, and I like to sort of nod off listening to uh, Chicago Bullseye. Oh, but thanks. this one, this one, <laughs> this one kept me awake because it was actually I was actually listening to something that I'm pretty sure was I hadn't heard, and it was super interesting to hear his take on it. But um, yeah, I'm happy for you to expand on it here. But to me, it was news at least. Well, so there was one part of that that cast which I hadn't heard before. So I remember that night when that happened very well i was working the second shift in nabisco and we were all talking about it. i was ecstatic because i love sean kemp i thought he was great and i and people now in retrospect like you were happy they were trading pippen and and exactly what cap referred to i don't think people realize it was just a just a really negative feeling in chicago kind of of well michael's gone he's not coming back we just lost to the knicks and we weren't good enough with pippen to beat the knicks even though all the, you know, Hugh Hollins and we should, we could have easily won that series. There was just such a Horace, people forget Horace left, you know, was leaving. It was clear Horace wasn't going to be our power forward. So he had left that team for Orlando. It was just a really negative, bad situation. And, uh, and I, I, there was still a lot of anger about Pippinson out to 1.8 in retrospect. I mean, if you would go through that situation, the one thing that people didn't talk about, and this was Jack Silverstein from Phil Jackson's perspective. I know I've had a lot of friends jump on and say, well, Pippen should have had the last shot. Kukoc hit three game winning shots that season during the regular season. Pippen was 0 for 2 in those moments. And going back to the previous finals, he had an opportunity against the Suns. People forget we lost the middle three games were at the United Center, or I mean, the old Chicago Stadium. We lost two out of those three. The, the, the Suns beat us. We won the first two in Phoenix, the middle three in Chicago. We lost two out of three. In one of those games, we lost in double overtime or overtime. I can't recall which, but Pippen was given the opportunity. He missed that shot. 
So from Phil Jackson's perspective, looking back over the past year, Kukoc had hit three game-winning shots, Tony and, and Scotty was 0 for 3. So this wasn't done in just some vacuum where, where, where you know, Phil was trying to, trying to be cruel. He had that in his mind. And then obviously his decision was right because Tony hit number four. So, you know, Pippen was, I, I'd say probably, you know, he, he did absolutely rehab his reputation in game six with the dunk on Ewing. But, um, you know, so flash forward, the trade happens. The part I did not know and I did not recall was that the Bulls had the 21st pick that year and the Sonics had number 11. And, and Jalen Rose was picked at 13. So part of that trade was the Bulls would have swapped picks and the Bulls could have got Jalen Rose at 11. And uh, Cross would have done that. I, I, I've seen the interim. I've emailed several people who knew Jerry, and that would have happened. So they would have had Jalen Rose, potentially Michael Jordan, Kukoc at his natural position at the three, and Sean Kemp at the four. Do you think that team would have been able to win titles? Yeah, probably. I mean, it, it ultimately d- depends on um, what sort of Sean Kemp you get and, and, and how long he sort of maintains that, uh, let's just call it that sanity for how, how long do you get that sort of player for? I, I don't know. And uh, they probably could win a title. I mean, if we're just talking one title, I think they could have won one title. I mean, that sounds like a pretty damn good team, particularly given that I would assume, I mean, Seattle was still would have been pretty damn good when you pair Gary Payton and Scottie Pippen. I mean, that's, imagine that's those crazy. two guys trying to, imagine Michael trying to, you know, go up against those two guys. I'm sure he still would have found a way, but not only going going up against Gary Payton, but then having to go up against Scottie Pippen. I mean, that's some pretty insane perimeter defense. But I assume the Bulls would probably get a title with that team. I, I don't know if they go for another three-peat, but I don't know. It's fun to think about. I mean, I, I, I maybe two weeks, three weeks ago, I did a whole segment of what-if scenarios with, with the Chicago Bulls throughout the years, and I think that's a pretty damn good one as to where that team potentially would have gone had that deal gone through. But it, it's an interesting what-if what uh, scenario to sort of ponder. But... Fortunately, it didn't go through, and I think we're all um, we're all pretty glad that it didn't. Yeah, absolutely. People, the one mistake that I think that uh, Cap made, Sean Kemp did not fall off until 1998. 1998 was the year of the strike, and he came back from that strike, and he put on about 40 pounds. So he was a very effective player and all throughout the second three-peat. So he would yeah, play yeah, at a high yeah. level. Obviously, we played him in 1996. 96, yeah. yeah. Incredible. Oh, he was yeah. awesome. Just as an aside, that's good Bulls history. Love to talk about that stuff, uh, but we'll, well, I digress. We'll, t- we'll tell people where they can listen to it, Fred. We'll, we'll wrap oh. up now, but I'll uh, tell people where they can tune into that episode. Chicago Bullseye episode. Uh, you can go to chicagobullseye.com, episode 429, with uh, the interview with David Kaplan. You can also find that on iTunes, Chicago Bullseye. Just uh, do a search there. Yeah, I appreciate you letting me pub that because that was my favorite one, and I got one coming out this weekend. Uh, with Sean Hyken. I just got to cut it. We talked for about, and Sean covered the Bulls from 2013-14 season, which was Noah's first, you know, that was the first team All-NBA where he almost won MVP. And we just had the best discussion. He covered the team from for several years and in the Blazers this year. And we had a wide-ranging discussion on Tibbs and Fred Hoiberg and Dwayne Wade and that the the three alphas and got in arguments about that team. And it, it was very fun, exciting. And I, I got to tell you, I loved it. It was one of my most, one of my favorite conversations with any writer. We talked for 50 minutes on the air and then about another 30 minutes off the air. And uh, that'll be out this week. I'm looking forward to posting that one. 
Well, looking forward to listening. I'm sure it wasn't as good as the conversations that we've had over the years, Fred. I'm sure you'd agree with that, but um, I'll be looking out for that for sure. But where can people follow you online, on Twitter specifically? Oh, at CB Fred. At CB Fred. Oh, I got a story for you too before we forget. Can we finish with that? Of course. All right. So this is, um, this, all right, this is a pretty good story from uh, – well, it's a, it's a bigger picture story. It's a bigger analogy of the current NBA. And in some of the tweets that you've made about Draymond Green over the past few weeks, so <laughs> so I was a, uh, a, a pretty much a local celebrity star uh, as a fifth grader. As <laughs> <laughs> a fifth grader, <laughs> even oh, before okay. my current status, uh, I was blessed with a, a dad that really knew the game very well. He was official, and he was one of those dads who was a little bit more aggressive in training, kind of like Zach Levine's dad, you know, training your son to be a good, very good basketball player, which I'm, I'm grateful. Was your dad Dick Bavetta? Was that who your dad was? <laughs> no, he wasn't Dick Bavetta, thank God. <laughs> I was a bum. Dick Bavetta is the worst official I've ever seen. Anybody watches Game 6 in 2000 Lakers Sacramento series will know what I feel about Dick Bavetta. What a jerk. No, Mike was a very, very good guy, uh, you know, good coach, still around, uh, thank God. But – um. So fourth grade, we I was in fourth grade going into fifth grade, and I was as good as a fifth grader. That was my apex. Like, I didn't get any better from that point. So I made a high school team. But it, what I'm trying to say is, I you know, I was pretty much as good as I was in high school as I was in fifth grade. So <laughs> high school was good enough to make a high school team, but I was pretty, you know, comparable. To so you hit your peak real, real early. Yes, that's that's what I'm trying. I was an early peak, an early peak, somewhat tall, and just could do everything on the court and shoot from like right. 40 feet out. Anyhow, yep. I was like Steph Curry as as a Southwest. Oh yeah, okay, yep, yep. One man team, one man team, and there was one team in our league, uh, St. Catherine, that we played that we could not beat. They had two guys that were phenomenal. And they would double team me the whole game, pick me up full court. I couldn't do anything against them. They were bigger, stronger, faster, and they would beat us every year. That was the only team we lost to. One game in the middle of the season, uh, all of, all my teammates were totally incompetent, except one player. His name was Sean. And uh, I'm not going to give his last name, embarrass him, because I'm sure he's listening. And Sean could do one thing, and that he could shoot bank shots from about eight feet. So my dad came up with a plan to get him the ball in every game to punish the double team. And in that one game, we ended up losing by two points. Sean scored 28 points and I had six. And after the game, we had this assistant named coach Joe. Coach Joe was a full fledged moron and <laughs> was still allowed to, you know, <laughs> show up to games and, 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 you know, give his opinion. So my dad finished with a speech guys. That was a great game. Uh, Sean, fantastic job, you know, way to score. Um, you did a great job, but all he did was hit wide open jumpers from about eight feet because I was a guy getting double teamed. Right. Coach, yeah. they, they, okay. they turn over, Coach, you want to add anything? And Coach says, yeah, I do want to add anything. We all need to, next time we play this team, we all need to play as good as Sean. If everybody played as good as Sean, then we would have won this game. But Sean was the only guy in this team that played well and did anything. And I just remember thinking, what a dumbass. Like, this guy should never be allowed to address children again. This guy's so incredibly <laughs> stupid. This guy's so incredibly stupid. He can't tell that 
I'm the guy getting double teamed. The only reason Sean was wide open and scored 20 plus points was because he was wide open because I was double teamed. All right. So flash forward two <laughs> later, I got the flu. I missed the game. We lost by about 70. Sean had two points on a, you know, with four seconds left. And, you know, I, I, I just begged, what did coach Joe say after the game? You know, <laughs> thank God the guy went to prison later for embezzling money. Just <laughs> this is so true. All this is true. All this is true. Flash forward. Oh, flash forward. Now, I'm not saying Sean is dream on green, but it's close. <laughs> it's close. You've got a point? I'm assuming. Flash forward to the Portland series where everybody's waxing poetic by Draymond Green. Yeah. Draymond Green's an excellent defender, one of the best defensive players ever. He's not – the reason he's successful is because there's 15 – you know, every player is focused on Steph Curry. You see this, right? You understand this when you're watching the game to see how much attention Steph Curry gets. And therefore, in the, in the Raptors game one, which I was shocked at, they actually played Kawhi at moments on uh, Draymond Green. And Draymond Green produced the worst triple-double in the history of the NBA. I know he had a 10-10-10, but – it was, I think it was two for nine from the field. He was terrible offensively, I thought, for much of that game. What say you? Do you see the analogy I'm trying to make? Well, I mean, I've got a lot of thoughts. And firstly, I mean, it sounds like you've been harboring these thoughts for at least the last 40 years, which is kind of <laughs> concerning. I feel like a counselor right now. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, am I on the clock right now? I should probably be getting paid for this therapy session that we're sort of going on to but another thing that i picked up was that you were definitely comparing yourself to to steph curry in this in this uh, analogy That's here right. which was interesting to hear i mean i don't necessarily agree with that but the main takeaway for me was that you only scored six points in a game that you lost by two points had you made a couple more baskets then you know your team would have won i think we need some Thanks, self-reflection Coach, here fred and um you're the coach, Joe. I think it's on you, and you're trying to deflect it here. You're trying to def- he's trying to deflect to um Sean and Coach Joe, who later went to prison for embezzling money. But um, look, as always, your stories are uh, they're just amazing. It's a, p- a perfect way to end the podcast. So, Fred, appreciate you coming on, but more than anything else, I appreciate that. I'm assuming a story that had a point there, but um, thank you for coming on, my friend. You're the best, Mark. I love you, brother. I love you. I cannot <laughs> you wait. Too, Fred. You got to promise if we win it in 2021 and all these predictions I made come true seven and 17, seven and 18, seven and 19, seven seed and 20, and seven title in 21. Mm-hmm. If it comes through, you're going to come out to Chicago for the Grand Park celebration. Yeah, if you pay for it, I'm definitely there. <laughs> okay. Bye. I got that, that ship with sheep that's coming out of Australia. So you got to go on that one, but you're coming. <laughs> All right, we'll uh, we'll we'll see how it plays out. Thanks a lot, my man. Have a good one. All right, thank you, Fred. All right, folks, that was Fred Pfeiffer in form as always. As he mentioned there, follow him on Twitter at CBE Fred on Twitter. Follow his podcast, Chicago Bulls Eye. Get that in all your typical podcast applications. But while you're at it, check out Balls HQ. Obviously, you know where to find that. Hit the subscribe button. Go onto iTunes. Give us a five-star review. I would definitely, certainly appreciate that. Follow me on Twitter at MKHoops. Follow the podcast too at Balls HQ Pod. And one last thing to check out, check out Blue Wire Pods in your all your, your podcasting apps as well, particularly with the finals going on now. We have Blue Wire Buckets going on recapping every single finals game here going on. So definitely check out Blue Wire Buckets. Check out all the other podcasts on the Blue Wire Podcast Network too. So do me that favor. 
be back again probably next week. We'll be talking more draft. We're getting closer now. We're officially into June, so we're only a few way, few weeks away from the draft itself. So the business end of the season for the Bulls, unfortunately. Obviously, the uh, we got the Raptors and Warriors playing for the real stuff, but for the Bulls, their season, they're all the the culmination of what we've sort of been going for here this season sort of happens on June twenty. So we're only a few weeks away from that. So. In the coming episodes of Bulls HQ, we'll probably be talking more draft. So be on the lookout for all of that coming at you in the next couple of weeks. Obviously, I'll be pimping that out on the usual spots on Twitter and the like. So look, be on the lookout for that. I appreciate you guys tuning into this episode of Bulls HQ. Hopefully, you enjoyed it. Hopefully, you enjoyed this conversation with C. Red Fred. We'll be back again very shortly. But until then, this has been Bulls HQ. Thanks for listening, Bulls fans. Speak soon. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.